everybody, welcome to the September 18th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on how both retail customers and growers benefited from Colorado's marijuana tax holiday on Wednesday due to accounting error in state government. Pat Calhoun from Westward, uh, you are our resident pot expert. What was this all about? What was, I don't even know how the, the tax holiday, but it was a very happy day for uh, pot growers and buyers in Colorado. I'm going to put some words together that you usually don't hear in, a, in conjunction. Doug Bruce and pot. And so part of it is our budget, the state budget, because of Tabor, has certain limitations. And what wound up happening is the state collected more money last year than it anticipated. They didn't want to do it again. It's not that they got more from pot than they anticipated, but pot is what they have a control over. So we had the one pot free, pot tax-free day. It was on the transfer from wholesale to retail, 15% tax. But a lot of the retail sales turned that over for gave that to their customers as a discount. So it was a big holiday in Colorado, which I'm sure we will celebrate from now on. <laughs> <laughs> David Kofel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. It sounds like a whole new batch of Tabor fans here being uh, pot customers in Colorado. It, it, the Tabor uh, sh sh shines its sun on everyone <laughs> equally. It's um, Remember the, the sales tax, the regular sales tax that of 2.9% at the state level and sometimes much more than that at the local levels, those were still collected. So just on this one day, marijuana was treated like every other product rather than having the extra taxes. I think that the big issue will be the win-win the that voters face in November when there's an issue about a, whether uh, a huge amount of additional marijuana taxes, the voters will say either refund that money to us or the government can spend it on extra programs. And the voters will get to choose. Well, either way, there's all this extra money now because it's been brought out of the shadows and into a regulated and heavily taxed uh, lawful status. Eric Sondman, political analyst, what do you think of Colorado's big uh, pot holiday? Well, one of these days, Dominic, we have to go the other way around the table because Patty always gets the best lines. And uh, the, the Doug Bruce one is obvious. All, all, <laughs> all, all the potheads, uh, all the, all the uh, dispensaries and stores in Colorado were, were toasting Doug Bruce uh, last week. Maybe there's a, now a strand of marijuana being named in Doug's honor. I think, that would, only right. I think that would only be fitting. Uh, I guess the only other thing I note related to marijuana right now was Colorado's moment in the sun at the Republican debate, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute, but uh, Colorado probably got more airtime in that debate than any other state, even though Chris Christie kept wanting to uh, sing the praises of New Jersey, given, it, given every opportunity. But Colorado, once again, was the epicenter there, and that's a double-edged sword. I'm not sure John Hickenlooper and the economic development types who are crazy about that being our brand, but it is our brand these days. And Susan Green, editor of ColoradoIndependent.com. Um, Colorado's pot, uh, pot tax holiday is the best of both worlds for Coloradans. No taxes and uh, discounted pot. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know that lots of pot users feel like the prices are so high that they're dissuaded from buying pot when there is a tax. But the fact that um, the fact that I think uh, this figure came out around that event that day was that 
the pot revenues, tax of pot revenues, have exceeded revenues from alcohol. I think mm -hmm. 70 million to 42 million, and I love that. I, I love that figure as a data freak, and I think it's um, kind of in and of itself worth celebrating. Absolutely. Well, as Eric referenced, CNN broadcast the second Republican presidential candidate debate this week, where it seemed some names other than Trump finally gained attention, including Carly Fiorina. Uh, Patty, we had all these kinds of candidates, jokes, things back and forth. What were your big takeaways? Well, of course, Colorado's moment was pretty great, or moments. And Colorado, by legalizing pot, Colorado looks just more libertarian, smarter, uh, all of which these candidates did not look. It was not the most impressive display. I cannot wait to see them coming to University of Colorado next month and to see who will still be standing and who will be still be speaking. Because you could see that Donald Trump, for example, as an interesting character who certainly has increased interest and livened up the whole political process so far, isn't wearing that well long term and also has to learn to do a better high five next time he's <laughs> chatting it up with Jeb Bush. The fact that Jeb Bush loosened up, and that's a little, and that's really not saying much, going from stiff as a board to slightly st less stiff. Um, you know, he made a little, he made some improvements. I thought Trump went back. Obviously, Carly Fiorina was the big winner, I think, in this, just because of the amount of time and attention she got. She looked more intelligent than the rest. I frankly loved her response on the dollar, the $10 bill issue, um, which was she didn't want to be marginalized, marginalized as a woman. She could have said her mother like Ben Carson, but I thought her answer worked better. So overall, I think this political season is incredible. It's great to watch everything. It's great to hear as much as we can hear, but it's going to be a long, long 14 months. Uh, David, the debates that are going to be in Boulder aren't that far away. Do you think it, it, the the group has at least um, been weaned down a little bit from uh, Rick Perry's dropped out? Do you see any other uh, people dropping out, at least names that we can recognize between now and the CU debates? No, not between now and, and October. The ones, some like Jeb Bush, have enough money to keep going for a long time. And others, you know, say Lindsey Graham, we don't have much money. You can run a campaign on fumes for a while. John McCain, as of August uh 2007 was on the, on the floor and everybody thought he was dead and they, they didn't have enough money for yard signs in New Hampshire and he managed to win the Republican nomination so there's, there's still a lot of fight left in, in all of them. In terms of a debate where you want people to see who actually has substance, has a point, not everybody wants that but for those of us who do, clearly Carly Fiorina number one and Marco Rubio number two consistent thoughtful answers. You may agree or disagree with their policies, but they know what their policies are and they can arti articulate them in a very good way. Now that Fiorina has deservedly fought her way into the top tier, now the negatives are going to start coming on her, of which the rolling out today is reprises of the ad that killed her Senate campaign in California, which is you were a terrible CEO of Hewlett-Packard, 30,000 layoffs, and, oh, you bought yourself a corporate yacht at the same time. Uh, that could be a quite effective attack. Her defenders will say, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody has a perfect career. But the fact is, you know, Donald Trump, who's been in bankruptcy four times, not personally, just the companies and all the investors he ripped off, uh, who I'm sure he brought in by saying, oh, this is great, this is a world-class investment, uh, until it's like three years later, and it's like, oh, I'm going to screw you and use the bankruptcy code. Uh, I think he might do the same thing to the American people. Uh, but 
Barack Obama, although it was undercovered, was a failed chief executive when he was he and Bill Ayers ran this huge school reform initiative in Chicago and Illinois where they got all this goody-goody corporate money and it was a freaking disaster and the fact that he was a failed chief executive at that I think uh, foreshadowed some of his serious weaknesses as a managerial type chief executive as president so Fiorina is going to have to address this and convince justifiably skeptical voters about why her tenure at Hewlett-Packard should not disqualify her from an even higher management position. Eric, these early debates are really just more for entertainment, but also it shows where the momentum can change. I mean, Fiorina's you know, strong momentum, I've seen a lot less on people like Scott Walker. If you have your magic wand, maybe by Thanksgiving, what number do you think we're at? If we're at 16 candidates right now, where are we at Thanksgiving? I don't fully know the answer to that, but I guess I would uh, challenge on a couple of counts, Dominic. One, yes, we're at 16 candidates right now, if you're counting every name, but we're not really at 16 candidates. Sure. We're at, you can look at that stage and at the preliminary stage, and there are a half dozen at most, in my mind, who are plausible nominees of the party. The others are hanging around, they're taking up space, they're becoming marginally less relevant as we go. I secondly would disagree with you a bit, Dominic, and usually we're on the same page, that these debates, early debates, aren't that meaningful. They're not decisive because there's not a single voter who's going to be heard from for another four or five months. But I think they are meaningful in terms of getting voters getting to know the people, establishing a pecking order, um, the exchange and the interplay between the candidates. Donald Trump and no one at this, at this table has been more critical of him. I think the guy's an embarrassment, a buffoon, bombastic. We can go through adjectives all, all uh, night long about Donald Trump. But he has served one purpose. He's getting TV viewers to tune in. There were 23 million pairs of eyeballs watching that debate the other night. Now, I'm not sure how many of them were left in hour number three. I think the first thing we should stipulate is three hours is way, way too long. Second thing we should stipulate is that Fox debate was much better run with Megyn Kelly and them than this debate. Jake Tapper is a good journalist, but he was ill-served by the format of, of that debate. David's pecking order would be my pecking order as well. I think uh, the most impressive ones on the night in whatever order were Carly Fiorina and, and Marco Rubio. That were not the Republicans could do a lot worse than that ticket in whatever order they, those two names are arranged. We'll see if that's viable. I get a great kick out of thinking of all the pent-up demand in this country, and rightly so, to finally, finally have a female president. Well, what if it was not Hillary Clinton? And what if all of those people who've been waving the ready for Hillary yard signs were given a choice of, of Ms. Fiorina? And um, that would be quite a spectacle to watch. As to um, uh, Jeb Bush, Donald Trump ought to be paying the guy rent because he's taken up occupancy inside his brain. He is so deep into Jeb Bush's head. Uh, and the two of them standing next to each other, I, I don't think served Jeb very well. Lastly, Scott Walker is the great shrinking candidate. He just seems to be disappearing as each week goes by. He looked completely overmatched in that debate. Susan, after you saw what we've seen both in the first Fox debate and the CNN debate, are you excited for the debate that's going to be here in Boulder? I am very much. I think um, it's great. We're a swing state. We are so relevant um, in 2016, and so I think it's a great coup for us and for CU. Um, I tend, this is such a red-letter day, to agree with uh, David and Eric about how healthy it is that 
we have this huge, I think you called it earlier, a clown car, <laughs> a, a huge number of candidates. At this point, they are debating. I think there is uh, a real benefit to having this debate and kind of, uh, I think Donald Trump is doing a huge service to the process by galvanizing people and bringing people who otherwise aren't part of the political discussion into the fold. I think the best part of it at this point, like David said, it doesn't cost a lot of money to be a candidate right now. This is not about money. It's not about ads. It's not about door knockers. It's about a real democratic process. And I hope there are as many candidates in that GOP lineup as possible going into the convention. So it's a real nominating convention. So there's really a discussion about the platform and the party's platform. And just as the clock boy kind of created a huge conversation this week about, about uh, racial discrimination and profiling, um, I think Donald Trump is, in and of itself, he's just creating all sorts of conversations about immigration and other issues that um, I think benefits the party. And I think the Democrats would do well to have an equally robust debate, which they're not. See if they uh, might be tempted at the scene that kind of the, the ratings are getting with these debates. Who knows? Governor John Hickenlooper announced plans this week to dedicate $100 million over the next four years toward making Colorado more bicycle friendly. The funds would be dedicated to connecting Colorado's bike trails, building pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure, and maintaining paths. Uh, David, uh, while I think people like the, the, all the activity in Colorado, and especially every, it's uh, a lot of people on bicycles, but $100 million is not chump change. There's a lot of things I think probably a lot of Coloradans like to see $100 million go to. What do you think? Well, some of these are from dedicated funds for which it's appropriate. Personally, I like it when the government spends things to benefit everyone in general rather than special interests. So bike paths and parks uh, are close to the top of my spending priorities, so I'd say it's great. My concern is the money being allocated by Governor Hickenlooper, the guy who said, how do we wean ourselves off, ourselves off automobiles? There is an element at the extreme end of the pro-bike lobby, which not only is pro-bike, which I am, but also is anti-automobile. And they do things that are ostensibly for the benefit of bikes, but really are more for the purpose of persecuting automobile drivers. And, you know, not everybody can be like John Hickenlooper wants us to be in Copenhagen or Amsterdam, driving a Schwinn, taking a Schwinn bike uh, to the grocery store. You know, some people are older, for example, or whatever. Maybe they don't have the time. And the, I really worry that Hickenlooper is going to pervert this the way it's been done in Boulder, where you do things to deliberately increase automobile congestion for the trivially small benefits uh, for bikes. You narrow roadways, add pollution, slow down traffic, uh, supposedly in, in the, under the pretext of uh, being pro-bike. Eric, are the prophetic words of Dan Mays finally coming to pass here in Colorado with the, the idea of bicycles taking over everything that is state government? That's a name we haven't heard for a while. Thank you, Dominic. You're Dan, welcome. The, the, the Dan Mays reference. I think that should be required every few months around, <laughs> around this table. First of all, I've been to Copenhagen a couple of times. It's a wonderful city. 
Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins, Colorado Springs are not going to be Copenhagen. Can we just stipulate that? This is it's complete cultural difference. Uh, I love my bike. It has become my main form of, of recreation and exercise these days. I love that Colorado is a very fit state. I love that Colorado is a very bicycle friendly state. But as your question points out, $100 million is real coin. And I'm curious if John Hickenlooper and his cadre are going to be taking their bikes all over Colorado as part of this Building a Better Colorado tour where they convince people that the state is completely underfunded and Tabor's a complete mess. I do worry about it a little bit given the magnitude of the price tag from a messaging point of view. At the same time, they're trying to convince us of what a fiscal crisis we're in to be able to to throw around that kind of money. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, the more people on bikes, the better, within reason, so that it does not further complicate traffic patterns, as David pointed out. Susan, few politicians have had the success when it comes to raising money or efforts like John Hickenlooper. He, he's, he's very good at it. Can he make this happen? I think he can. You know, I've been critical of Governor Hickenlooper on a lot of issues, but this is, is Governor Hickenlooper at his very best. Um, and I agree, we're not, we're not Copenhagen, and you know, we don't. Just the size of Colorado makes it such that we can't all ride our bikes to the Safeway. Um, but uh, I think announcing it in Las Vegas the way he did. I mean, Hickenlooper is a marketer. He's our marketer in chief, even though he actually has a marketer in chief. He is. He's a supremely good marketer, and to do this at a uh, bicycle event and. Um, do it in a way that kind of lures people, tries to lure people to Colorado. I think in tourism, in and of itself, will pay off probably. And, you know, I, I love, I, I, I've been up in the mountains a lot lately, and I feel like I'm always going to hit a cyclist. Um, I'm not up there riding my bike up mountains, but I'm that nervous driver who feels like right around the bend I'm going to. And so, for the sake of, of people like Eric, I don't want to hit Eric um, on his bike. And, and my kids who love to bike, I, I'd like to see as many bike lanes as possible just for safety reasons. Patty, uh, people love bikes in Colorado. Uh, a lot of people do it themselves. But people also like driving in the mountains. And if they're seeing space being built for bike lanes and thinking, wait, wait a second, why am I sitting here in traffic while bikes are whipping by me because I'm still in two-hour waits before Eisenhower? Is there going to be a conflict on this because of there's still a, a very big love affair with cars in Colorado? Well, there already is a conflict. Every time you, you drive or ride in Denver or anywhere else, you're scared to death you're going to hit someone or be hit. So I think this added emphasis and setting up some protective things, I have no problem if people in bike lanes are zipping past the people stuck in cars on I-70 as long as there are still lanes for cars on I-70. And David brings up a good point, which is you still have to accommodate cars. Look at the rebellion we had from rural Colorado only a couple of years ago. You cannot really use bicycles reasonably if you are trying to commute from Cortez to Durango. You might be able to have an interesting day excursion, but it's not what most people are going to need. In rural Colorado, you need to be able to drive. And so I think this is part of an overall state emphasis, not just on bikes, but on roads. But it's fulfilling a lot of the promise that Hickenlooper made when he was mayor that has slowed in Denver. I mean, the amount of money they wanted to put into bike lanes hasn't been forthcoming. But now on a statewide level, I think as long as they balance it, 
it'll work well. And a good, expo uh, good exposure is this weekend, not just announcing it in Las Vegas, but right before Pedal the Plains, which will show that bikes do have a place out on the plains of Colorado, too. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock has proposed a $1.26 billion budget for 2016, including funding for police body cameras and a homeless solution center. In addition, $24 million would go toward rebuilding the Sheriff's Department, which is currently suffering an employment shortage and requiring mandatory overtime for its deputies. Uh, Eric, usually we don't get into the details of the city budget, but just in the, the first blush, you see $24 million to the Sheriff's Department. Is that enough? Are you seeing the right priorities? I have no idea if it's enough. I'm not in the, the, the weeds of the uh, Sheriff's Department budget. I think as the Denver Post editorial and others have pointed out, what the Sheriff's Department needs, yes, they probably need more funding. They clearly need more deputies, but they also need some leadership, and that has been a long, extended process with I'm not aware that there's an end in sight uh, to... to getting a top dog in that department. So money is part of what they need, but is not the whole thing of what they need. They need reform, cultural reform, pol uh, policy reform, and a, and a leader. Um, going back to the previous topic of bikes and roads, I, I was intrigued with this budget. And uh, again, I'm not in the weeds as a, a fiscal person, but you know there was discussion of uh, everything from expediting permits to the sheriff's department, to a zillion and one other issues, the one that I did not see emphasized in this budget was roads. And I think if you tap the political sentiment of most people around Denver these days, the number one issue is the rapidly growing congestion and just how long it takes to move around town and how dramatically more difficult it's become in not that many years. And that was, and it, that was a key issue in a lot of those city council races we just went through. And I did not see that emphasized in this budget. Susan, your thoughts on the budget? My thought on the budget was the, um, I looked at the $24 million for the Sheriff's Department, and then I looked at $8 million for affordable housing, and my jaw dropped. Um, I agree, you know, I understand they're short-staffed at the Sheriff's Department. They're short-staffed because morale is terrible, because there's no leadership, and because they are a wayward department. I think the mayor could save millions of dollars on um, reforming that department if he just grew a spine and started firing the sheriff's deputies who kill people and firing the attorneys and the managers who on their behalf in court lie and cover up the lies. And so, you know, there are vastly more Denverites who need affordable housing than need incarceration. And I don't know how you can justify $24 million for reforming the Sheriff's Department, $8 million for affordable housing, especially when the administration says $8 million will help build hundreds of affordable housing units. If you do the math, that, that's not even possible. Even with uh, leveraging private dollars, that's just not even possible. And I think the priorities are really mixed up. Especially in Denver, the kind of real estate, they're not buying anything. I <laughs> totally agree. Uh, Patty, your thoughts on the budget? Well, with the Sheriff's Department, it might actually prove to be a good investment if we don't have to keep making the huge, huge payouts we've had from complaints from prisoners with mistreatment. But it is true, you don't need the money to make the first fixes that have to happen there, which is good communication on what the proper procedures are. And if you go into the Homeless Solutions Center, that's another good example of where the Hancock administration needed to have some advanced communication with the ballpark neighborhood, for example, which filed a suit, which is making some progress against a daycare center there, um, a homeless day center there, too. So 
I, and then we, I had talked about the bicycles, that there's nothing about transportation. The bicycle people in the state, in Denver particularly, are very upset that it seems to have stalled. So I would say some education is required all around. What are the rules of the road? Why is, why is every road seemingly under construction just backing everything up? I think Denver's in a good place financially. It's, a, it's an excellent time to just get things moving and get some discussion going. David, your quick dick. The idea of firing deputies who abuse people is a very good idea, but impossible in Denver because the sheriffs are under deputies are under civil service, and that goes from the lowliest deputy all the way up to the undersheriff, the number two guy there. We don't have this problem of needing $24 million in order to be able to hire more people at the 62 other counties where sheriffs are elected, and they have full authority to hire and fire, and the people have the full authority to hire and fire the sheriff who isn't doing a good job. That model works in Colorado. The Denver model doesn't. For everyone playing CIO bingo at home, we did get to the Denver Sheriff's Department. The Denver Sheriff should be elected, so congratulations for everyone to, who, uh, who got bingo on that one. Yeah. Let's get to Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Uh, the view for taking off after Miss Colorado, Kelly Johnson, who did a great job on the pageant talking about nurses. What did they want her to wear? A slutty nurse outfit from <laughs> Halloween instead of, her, instead of her scrubs? David. There are all these people with the Pope's visit saying that he is a terrible economist, and, and that is a fair criticism. But to be, to be fair, these people should also say that most economists would be terrible Popes. <laughs> Eric. Hard to follow. I'm going to break the rules, Dominic. Usually I'm long on disgraces and short on say something nicest. I actually have two something nicest, so I'm going to go with one of them right here. This is a nice, not a disgrace. That's to President Obama. We can all be critical of him. He gave a speech in Iowa this week, and he went after, and he's situated to do it, what he called the coddling on college campuses these days and the whole notion of microaggressions and triggers and political correctness and good for President Obama. He, uh, I hope he adopts this as an ongoing theme. Susan. The state for spending 20, getting itself in the position where we're spending 20 million dollars a year on CSP2, an all solitary confinement prison south of Colorado Springs, especially if you look at the, the numbers we were just talking about at the city, 20 million dollars in debt relief on a completely shuttered five-year-old or six-year-old prison where nobody is, mm -hmm. is insane. Say something nice, Patty? I want to say something nice about Katie Atkinson, a political consultant who was free, a frequent and always welcome face around this table. She's going through a tough time, but she always made our days brighter here. Here, here. Jeremy Corbyn, the new leader of the British Labor Party, who used his first question time, uh, that food fight we see on C-SPAN sometimes, to instead of making it a food fight, to actually ask thoughtful questions, which he solicited from the British public. Eric, I'm going the same place. Uh, Patty was. Katie Atkinson has been a friend. She's been a partner of many of us around mm -hmm. this table. We did projects together in years gone by. Somebody of great character, somebody of a great sense of humor, always able to get that one-line jab in. Uh, she's traveling a difficult road right now, and um, we wish her and her family the best. Absolutely. Susan. Judge Michael Martinez, Denver District Judge, who did a very impressive job last week on the um, hearing involving whether the Denver DA should have prosecuted the sheriff for slamming an inmate against a wall. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of our show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out CIO podcasts on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.